helpful. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Have you noticed that we're an inconsistent people? Have you ever wanted to accomplish something and you really believe something, but you do something else? We're just, we're inconsistent people. You know, we all love winners. Wouldn't you all agree with that? We all love winners, and yet there are Cleveland Brown fans in the room. We're just, we're inconsistent people. Now I'm a Bears fan. I've got nothing to, you know, I can't compete with, with uh, you know, like Packers or whatever. Which is really hard for me to say because I hate them and, you know, I've got to be careful because it'll just ruin the whole spirit of the sermon if I think about it. We're inconsistent people, aren't we? You know, atheists are very inconsistent. Um, you know, if there's no God, then there are no values. If there are no values, then you're a turnip. So to say that, you know, you're an atheist, but then people have value, it, it just it doesn't go together. You know, if there's no God, then Hitler is the same as George Washington. There's, there's no difference. We just, you know, in one culture, you can behave one way. In another culture, you can behave in another way. And all the cultures are valid. It doesn't matter what you believe if there's no God. But if there is a God and there are rules to the universe, then there's a big difference between George Washington and Adolf Hitler. If there's no God, then there's no good. Why? Because value has to come from outside of ourselves. If we are the standard of everything, then there is no standard. Atheists have values because we're an inconsistent people. And, and we're more inconsistent at Christmas time. You know, grown men walk around with grins on their faces. <laughs> well, I love to walk, to drive by a huge construction site. There's a big crane and there's a little Christmas tree on top of the big crane. These big, tough guys and their big, tough trucks with a, with, with a bow on the grill. You know, it, it, that's what happens at Christmas. You can't help but smile. It's fun. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We love it. It's fun to be around it. And I can understand why believers are excited about Christmas because it's what life is all about. It's God in a manger. The God that everyone hoped was really there was there. And He entered time and space in a stable and He hung on a cross for our sins and died and was buried. But a dead man got up and walked and He's reigning forever and ever right now. This is a statement of fact. You can bet your life on it and actually... You are betting your life on it, your eternal life. That's why Christians are excited at Christmas time, because it's the celebration of our Savior. If you've discovered this truth, you should be excited at Christmas. But what about the pagans? Now, a pagan is defined by Webster's Dictionary as somebody who believes in nothing. They don't have any belief system. They're pagans. So it's interesting. Why in the world would a, would a pagan be... Happy at Christmas time. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at verse 13. Why are pagans happy at Christmas time? And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's look at that again. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, for preparing a body for him to come and to die on the cross for us. And Lord, we do take this time to remember your birth, even though we know you weren't born this time of year, but we do set this time aside to think of you. So, Father, I pray that this morning that you're glorified and we have a good understanding of what is going on in the world at Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Why are pagans happy at Christmas? 
Well, there are three parts of human existence. Three parts of human existence. Number one, you've got to believe in something. You have to believe in something. People without any kind of belief system are not happy people. And then you have to hope for something. Can you imagine with no concept that tomorrow is going to be better than today? You have to hope for something. How many of you hope you get something good for Christmas? Right? Hey, parents, I want you to know something. None of these kids reacted, so take it all back. They don't want anything. You've got to believe in something. You've got to hope for something. And then you have to love someone and be loved by someone. I'm so... It's wonderful that my kids have come home for Christmas. It's just... I, I told Laura, all's right in the world again. You know, we're all sitting there in the living room and... It's just wonderful. It's the way that it feels like it is supposed to be. You've got to love someone or you have to have someone love you. Why are pagans happy at Christmas? Because Christmas is as close as the pagan ever gets to actually meeting those needs without ever finding the real thing. See, there's pagans all over the world right now that are going to go to a service or participate in a Christmas party, and and they enjoy the festivities of it without ever actually experiencing it. It's like looking at a painting of water when you're thirsty or smelling a bakery when you're hungry or watching a commercial for Florida when it's cold out. It's close to the real thing. You ever been really hungry and you walk by a bakery? I think I get fat just by walking by the bakery. Just the smell. I was thinking that I'm glad I've got a belt because it's hard to keep pants up on a barrel. (laughs) They don't make pear-shaped clothes, you know what I mean? You walk by the bakery and you smell it, you're starving and you're saying, oh my goodness, isn't it amazing how good McDonald's smells before you eat it? (laughs) That's as close as a pagan ever gets to a real thing. They enjoy the trappings of Christmas, the joy, the love, the peace, the, the, the family, all of the trappings of Christmas. They make them smile because it's as close as they can ever get to the real thing without actually experiencing it. And we need to understand that not only do we need these three things, but human beings can't live without three things. We can't live without faith. You have to have faith. So like your, the money that you have in your pocket, it's just a rectangle of cloth with some dead presidents on it. It really doesn't mean anything. And it's backed, not by gold or silver, but by the full... There's like three people that know that. What's it backed by? The full faith and credit of the United States of America. The full... You've got to have faith in our economic system or it's going to collapse. And it's so interesting to see what happened when President Trump was elected that people had faith again and the stock market starts rising and people start hiring and our businesses start producing and people start buying forklifts and they start buying cars and they, they start ordering different machines. And why, why is that? Because people have faith and hope in the future. You can't live without faith. You have to have it. Voltaire, the famous skeptic, said if there were no God, it would be necessary to invent him. There was a writer from England who's an atheist who went to Africa and they saw the way that this country functioned and he came back and said, I don't know how this world could exist without Christians. 
because there were Christian organizations putting in wells and helping people teach the people how to feed themselves and doing all of these things because the love of Christ constrains them to lift people from their current state to a better state. And ultimately, we as Christians, we want to lift people from being dead to being alive through the the life that comes through Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? More than just feeding them or more than just digging a well. It's been said that if we no longer believe in the true God, then we don't believe in nothing. We believe in anything. Think about Jim Jones, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, communism, hip-hop. People will think and believe in anything when you take away the true system of belief that is God. And human beings can't live without faith, but neither can they live without hope. H.G. Wells, remember a famous uh, author, He believed in life after death because he believed that he had only accomplished one-third of what he was supposed to accomplish. Now, that's kind of arrogant, really. And H.G. Wells was a a train wreck as far as his philosophy. He was a utopian, and he believed that there was going to be this one-world government that would come and suppress all of the rebels and that he would be a part of this one-world government. Aren't you glad that he died? I am. I'm glad that he is not in charge of things. But you can't live without hope. You know, sometimes, the Publishers Clearinghouse, the lottery, and you young people, I hope you realize that the lottery is a tax on people who can't do math. That's what the lottery is. But they always hope. How many of you have waited for that knock on the door? And the big check, Publishers Clearinghouse, $5,000 a week for the rest of your life. That's never happened in my house. I guess if I would enter, then maybe they would come. Sometimes people even dream up reasons for hope. I was in Ghana, and I think the life expectancy was less than 40 years for a person in Ghana. But they were so excited to tell me that it was voted the happiest place on earth. Not Disneyland, Ghana. People can even make up reasons for hope. Human beings can't live without faith. They can't live without hope. And they certainly can't live without love. What the world needs now is... And all the young people have no idea. Burt Backrack, look it up. People are looking for love, but they can't find it because genuine love only comes from God. And when you look at what the culture has done to love, in the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics and music that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protest against church and state, and parents were called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing was ever put in place to replace it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. Listen to this. It was a decade of meism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self, self image, self esteem, self assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything what there was to know about physical relationships, but forgot everything there was to know about love, and no one had the nerve to tell them there was a difference. In the 1980s, kids lost their hope. They were stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare. Large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. And now here we are, almost 40 years later, and it's devolved into every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. We're surrounded by hopelessness, except at Christmas, because we're an inconsistent people. 
Someone wrote, lost in the world of darkness without a guiding light, seeking a friend to help my struggling, failing plight. Now all of you good people just go on passing by, leaving me with nothing but this lonely will to die. Somewhere in this lonely world of sorrow and of woe, there's a place for me to hide, but where I do not know. For no matter where I go, I never will escape the devil's reaching, clutching hands or the drink of fermented grape. So out of my grief and anguish, perhaps some wandering boy will see long after I have left this world and build his own life strong and good and free. That's the world that people live in without any love, without any faith, without any hope. That's the world. And yet at Christmas time, there's the celebrations. There's the, the joy to the world that people experience, but they don't really understand it. But then there's the guilt. See, those, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes it's hard to know if you've never been a part of it or to remember what it was like to be out in the world when you would go out to the party and you'd go out to the celebration and you'd come home and you'd be face to face with your own guilt because guilt gets magnified at Christmas because when you get that close to the light, the blackness looks even darker. Do you know how sad January is for many people in the world? Because Christmas is over. They go to church, read the Bible, and talk about God a lot. So you go to church and read the Bible and talk about God a lot. But you get home and take off the mask and cry, Oh God, the guilt, the guilt. Because you know that you're not good and kind and loving and sweet. Forlorn across two empty ages, walking between two hospitals. You're born in one and you die in one in some place, maybe at Christmas. You stop on your way down that path and you look into the blackness and you ask, Who am I? What am I doing here? And what is this thing called life about? And the only answer you hear is the ache of your own words striking the hollowness of your own emptiness. See, life's a hard place. When there's a pagan, when there's these people who don't know God, life is a hard place. Biologists tell me I'm a blob of protoplasm. Scientists tell me I'm a rat running through a maze. Philosophers try to give me a reason for running. Historians tell me about my past. Statisticians tell me about my future. I listen to their speeches, but when they're finished, I can still hear the hollowness and the deadness. And then they die. They chisel on their tombstone. Born in 1940, died in 2017. And there's a comma between the birth and the death. Only a comma. Only a dash. And no one knows who put it there, why it was put there in the first place, or what meaning it has. Pagans had better not get really consistent. If they do, it'll kill them. That's the world of the pagan. That's the world they live in. Remember Hamlet? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps this in this petty pace from day to day. To the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out our brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is here no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And then came Christmas. And then came Christmas. Jesus Christ came. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Get Matthew 1 and John 1. Then came Christmas. I, I want to grab the pagan and shake him 
and say, wipe that silly grin off your face. Let me tell you about something that's real. Because remember, for the pagan, when all the celebration is over, all they can do is look for the next party because there's nothing to fulfill their lives. There's nothing to fulfill their destiny. John chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He came into this world of darkness. Go to John 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me tell you what happened when Jesus Christ came. Jesus has come. Faith is now rooted in reality. Faith is rooted in reality. You understand the full faith and credit of the United States government is not reality. Jesus Christ has come. Faith is rooted in reality. It's not a pious platitude anymore. It's not religious people trying to get them to do something anymore. It is there in time and space for everyone to see the cry of a special baby. God entering time and space. It really happened. There was a missionary, the kids and I, we read about... When they were young, his name was John Patton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides, and he went there to preach the gospel. And he was telling them about faith, but they didn't have a word for faith in their language. So he thought about it and tried and tried and tried, and this is what he came up with for them. When he was teaching the story of uh, the account of the Philippian jailer, when he said, what must I do to be saved? Listen to what Patton said to them. Lean with all your weight on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Lean with all your weight on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You see, faith has to have an object. And that object entered time. The object of our faith entered time and space and became a man. He became whippable and pierceable. He became a man that could be spat upon. He became the one that could be beaten and nailed to a tree and buried in a tomb and then walk out of that tomb alive, victorious forevermore. That's what happened at Christmas. There is reality. Faith is rooted in reality. The Word became flesh. At the end of World War II, there was a, a bombed-out shelter that was found in Germany. And on the wall was this poem, I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in music even when I can't hear it. I believe in love even when I can't feel it. I believe in God even when He is silent. At Christmas, He was no longer silent. He spoke. He entered the world. Christmas is when He was spoken. So Jesus has come. Faith is rooted in reality. But Jesus has come. Hope is bathed in legitimacy. You know, people hope for things. There are people that hope. They hope that everything's going to work out without ever making any plans, without ever doing anything about it. Here, hope is bathed in legitimacy. And you know, a lot of people are hoping in hope. And this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky pipe dream. Did you ever have hope that you could be clean and forgiven? Have you ever wanted someone to love and someone to love you? Someone who knew everything about you and still loved you? Have you ever wanted more than up to your life than getting up and going to work so that you can have the money to pay the mortgage, so that you can have a place to sleep, so that you could sleep and then get up and go to work, so that you could have the money to pay the mortgage, so that you could go to work? 
so that you can make the money, so that you can pay the mortgage, so that you can have a place to sleep, so that you can get up and go to work, so that you can pay the mortgage. So that you... Isn't life supposed to be more than that? And that's what hope gives us. It's legitimacy. Christmas is when He came. The Bible says, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Listen, for he shall save his people from their sins. I like what the Bible says in Isaiah 118. It says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. See, hope can be realized. True love is when someone really knows who you are and they still love you. It's like the woman at the well when Jesus Christ met her. I always, whenever I think of that passage, I think of the Bible college student that wanted to tell his girlfriend that he loved her. And he was really nervous. So he wrote a note to her and he said, this verse tells you everything that I'm thinking about you right now. And he wrote down John chapter four and whatever the verse was, but he meant to write first John. He was so nervous that he forgot the, the, the one and first John four, it says pure love. There's no fear in love. Pure love casteth out all fear. And so she said, well, this verse tells me about how he loves me or what he's thinking of me. So she opens up your Bible and it's John chapter 4 and it says, Thou hast had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. <laughs> that one was really important. But you know, Jesus Christ knew that about her. And listen to what the Bible says. Listen to what she said about him. John chapter 4, verse 29. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Jesus Christ could tell her everything that she ever did, every bad thing, and yet he loved her. That's hope bathed in reality. That's the Christ that came. That's the God that loves you. He knows all things. He knows everything about you. And yet he would have come and died on the cross if you were the only person in the world. That's hope bathed in reality. So not only Jesus has come, faith is rooted in reality. Hope is bathed in legitimacy. But love, charity is manifested in personality. There was a missionary talking with this little girl. And she hadn't seen her father in a while. And she said, how are you going to know your dad when you see him? And she said, well, I, I don't know him, but he'll know me because he loves me. He'll recognize me because he loves me. You know what the Bible says about God? He knows those who are his own. He knows those who are his own. You see, Jesus Christ is charity manifested in reality. Love isn't just a word, it's recognition. You know, I remember my mom was on the door of death. And it's hard for me to talk about that time. You, Of course, you know why, and if you've gone through it. And uh, mom had been unconscious, and she had been on a ventilator, and so she couldn't really talk. But as happens, and I think it's just the grace of God, the gift that God gives us, she revived right before the end. And the rest of the family was around her, and I walked in the room, and she hadn't been able to communicate. And even then, she couldn't talk, but she mouthed. She looked up, and she saw me, and her eyes lit up. And she mouthed, there's my preacher. And that love, that recognition in my mother's eyes, that's what love is. That's what love is. Um, I was talking with Lily, little, little, little yo. And she was coming up and uh, up the stairs, and I, I saw her out here. And I said, hi, Lily. And I started talking to her, but Dad was behind me. And she looked at me, and she looked up, and, 
her face lit up. What's the difference? Love. She recognized her dad and that love was there. You see, Jesus Christ, when He came into the world, the Bible says that God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at John chapter 17. I love this. Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross and He's giving final instructions. He's praying for His disciples here. And it says in verse 20, so he's praying for his disciples, but then he shifts his subject in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Do you know any of us who are saved? We got saved by believing on Jesus Christ through the word of the apostles. And do you know what I believe? I believe that when Jesus was praying this, he was seeing my face. He recognized me. That joy of knowing that there's someone who loves you, that there's someone who cares about you. Not only that they care about you, but they're excited to see you. I wish that had happened this week. I picked up Jacob at the airport from school, and all he cared about was the Star Wars movie. (laughs) That light, that recognition that was not there. Love is when the God of the universe came to us and loved us. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 13. Let's look at uh, verse 11. These things, John 15 verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Joy to the world. Amen? And that your joy might be full. You see, Christmas time is the closest that pagans ever come to that. I was just thinking, that's what Satanists feel like at Halloween. (laughs) Anyway. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Then look at what he says. You're my friends. If you do whatever I've commanded you. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he called us his friends and stretched out his arms and died for us. See, that's reality. That's love that has become real for us. You want something to believe in, something to hope for, someone to love and to love you? The real thing came at Christmas. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's the Savior that came into the world. Let's make sure that we keep Christmas real. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for coming.